Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And this is week five in our eight-part series on Unity and world religions. We've been having a fabulous time discussing with some uh, very interesting people about uh, the nuances of the various religions and how they fit into uh, the unity perspective, or don't in some cases. Today, we're going to look at unity and Hinduism. And joining me is my daughter, Miriam Sharma. She's been on the show before, and so it's great to have her back. Miriam grew up in unity but was also influenced by the family's interest in other religions, uh, particularly uh, Buddhism, I would say, and Hinduism, and uh, and also by Unity's general openness to, to all paths, because um, that's been a part of Unity since the beginning, as we, as we stated in the first show, the influence of other religions on Charles and, and Myrtle. Miriam was also... Um, studied in the uh, non-dual tradition of, of teachers like Tony Parsons and, and Barry Long. And today uh, she uh, considers herself to be a Christian Hindu, um, attending a unity church, but also uh, going to uh, Hindu temples and practicing Hindu rituals and other practices, as well as admiring the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, a connection we both share is uh, with the community of the many names of God in West Wales, sometimes called Scandabale. It's it's basically a Hindu-based ashram, but it's also open to um, Christianity and Buddhism. And uh, it's been putting on a lot of videos and audios every day uh, during the COVID, COVID-19 crisis. So it's been wonderful to connect in that way. So it's one of the good things that's come out of this difficulty, I think, this challenge, isn't it, uh, is that we've spent more time together, maybe not in each other's presence, but o- over Zoom, audio, video, and other ways. And, and that's, that's um, a compensation, if you like, for some of the difficulties. So anyway, it's a pleasure to welcome Miriam Sharma to today's show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to be with you. And of course, I should say that you also married a uh, a person of Indian extraction, didn't you? Hence your last name, Sharma, yeah. right? Yeah, so there's another, <laughs> yeah. there's another connection there. First thing I want to put out there before we start in the discussion is that uh, this is a, a very complicated subject. You know, a lot of religions are very complicated and, and have a lot of variety. 
but none more so than Hinduism because it has at least a 5,000-year-old tradition, right? Um, and, um, and then that's overlaid with the arrival of the Aryan uh, peoples about 3,500 years ago. Uh, India is vast in size and, and also in, in ethnic groups, languages, etc. And the religion there is, a, is an eclectic uh, melting, if you like, of many different traditions. And other religions like Jainism, Sikhism and Buddhism have uh, spun off from Hinduism and in turn influenced it um, and deepened it. So uh, th this is a huge subject. We're not going to be able to cover every aspect of it um, and uh, we don't need to. But it, it runs the gamut from non-dualism to almost an atheistic uh, point of view from some some Hindu practitioners. So it, you you want it? It's in there. Um, there's there's many different systems of philosophy, and yet Hindus refer to their religion as uh, Sanatana Dharma, which means eternal truth or the essential wisdom within everything, which is uh, a broad but very noble noble theme. So there's many ways to approach it. So my first question, Miriam, is uh, how do you, you know, how do you approach um, this, this way of thinking, this way of living? Um, yes, I definitely approach it probably more as the way you said as a way of living, because I think unity um, with its practical application of Christianity sort of prepped me for that, for that world, um, the world of, of Hinduism. I think so much these older religions, you know, there's a lot of cultural influence. It's not just the religion. There's a right. lot of cultural tradition. So what I've learned, as as you said, marrying someone um, whose parents were born in India, um, learning about some of the cultural traditions that definitely overlap with religion, but it also has a lot to do with um, how you interact with your family and uh, some of the important, important rituals that you go through that bind you together as a family. Uh, for instance, the first haircut that a baby has usually during the first year of life it's really beautiful um you go to the temple and they uh, perform a, a puja and pray to god to protect the child and then you cut off all the hair and then everyone enjoys a nice meal together and it certainly bonds the family so there's a religious aspect but i think there's a um a cultural aspect that's used to to bind everyone together so almost as important as the uh, religious side is and focused on God, there's also um, using it as a way to get closer to your family and sort of see God in your family members. Right. Yeah, very much so. And, and the emphasis on not just going to a temple, right, but to have um, home worship. So you have your own altar and do ceremonies at home Definitely. as well. Yeah. So that's yes, a big that's part very, of it. very important. Yeah, we have an altar here in our home and actually um, put it close to the front door um, and at first I thought well is this a good idea because if someone comes over and I live in Dallas Texas um, which there are uh, predominantly I would say more Christian people here um, and I thought well if someone comes over and they see the altar are they going to be put off and not want to be friends with me and I thought no better to put the altar there which has also a cross but, a, but more probably Hindu um, deities there um, and Buddha too present um, better to get it out there that that's my way of life, that I'm, that I'm open, that that's the way I am. And if someone either likes it or doesn't like it, well, that's okay. But I want to be honest that uh, it is an important part of my life. So, yeah, I think the home puja, the home altar, excuse me, is, uh, is, is very important. Right, yeah, and no apologies, right? We, we, we exactly. sometimes tend to apologize if we're a little different from 
from others I know sometimes that happens in unity you know we're trying to fit in with say more regular Christians and uh, whereas really we don't need to we have a noble tradition in and of ourselves you know it's part of that golden thread of of mysticism that runs through Christianity so no, no excuses right so yeah you mentioned deities and um you know, they say there's 33 million deities in Hinduism. I don't know if it's that many, but the, the, the idea is there's a lot of them. Um, and, uh, and yet, there's only one, right? Uh, I like the phrase, uh, God is formless, but takes many forms. So there's, there's mm -hmm. only the one deity in actuality, but a, a multiplicity of um, aspects, you could say, of that, right? But like divine ideas in unity, we have one God, but the God has numerous attributes or divine ideas which are in us as well right because we are part of uh, that divine so is that similar and i think it is isn't it in hinduism that the various gods uh, are basically aspects of the of the one definitely i would even think i've asked my mother and father-in-law just as we discussed uh, spirituality and i would ask the question would you know i would believe that hinduism is actually monotheistic because it's many names for one god but I asked them, you know, is that correct in my learning, you know, as being raised as someone who is both uh, mostly unity and, and mostly Hindu. And uh, they said, yes, that's true. It is. It's, there is only one God. Um, I found a Sai Baba book, a prayer book that you uh, had at the, in, in the altar when I was growing up and it managed to find its way over to my home. And I thought uh, Sai Baba said it very well. Total surrender to God leads one to the abode divine. Having lost the individual I, one attains the universal I. Uh -uh. And I yeah. think that sort of sums it up. You know, it's, uh, it's both ends. There is the universal God, but also the, um, you know, the individual um, within ourselves as well, you know, that exists. So, yeah. yeah. And so, if anybody doesn't know, Sai Baba was an Indian teacher uh, back in the most of the 20th century, died about 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing I think about is the multiplicity of gods is that there can be one that sort of is tailored for you, right? Each, each of us is different in personality and approach. And we may resonate more with a female deity or with a certain aspect, you know, maybe a, a more peaceful aspect as opposed to a, a wrathful aspect. And, and um, you know, we, we may find that as our chosen deity or there may be a few. Right. There may be some that uh, we, we feel very connected to and others that not so much. So and, and it could change over the years as well. What you know, which ones you feel attracted to we're both part of uh, you know the community of the many names of god as i mentioned earlier and and guruji the leader there um god rest his soul he passed a few years ago now but uh, you know in his earlier life he was very much into um shiva and uh, lord subramanian was the son of shiva and but later in his life you know he got very involved with the, the divine mother and we actually saw images and and uh, felt the consciousness of the mother and set, and set up a, a temple, the Mahashakti temple to the, the energies of the mother. And, and so there was a shift there, right? As he, as he approached his middle to later years, you know, he felt a greater resonance to that aspect of God. You, yeah. you mentioned something the other day in our conversation about the female deity. Um, say, do you remember what that was? Yeah, I think um, reading actually uh, from from one of your, your other shows in the series um, about Judaism, how that, you know, looking at 
the the female form of God as a way to, to worship her on earth. And it sort of tied in thinking about mother earth and um, that mother is this, is the deity that, that guru uh, really followed and created, created the temple um, and seeking her comfort and protection. And it reminded me of myself since I'm a mother of three, that, um, you know, in, in the real world sense, the love that a mother has for her children really does know no bounds. So similarly, it's easier maybe for us to identify with that female deity, with that female version, because trying to grasp, you know, the universal absolute, the, that omnipresent power can be a little bit challenging. So maybe looking at it as a loving mother or even a fierce mother that would fight and defend for her children, if that's the way we're able to see God, um, can definitely make it a little more personal, which I think is also a very important part of Hinduism being able to have that personal God um, that you can talk to and share your emotions with the same way that you might tell your real mother. Right. Yeah. Um, very good. Feelings that God is as close to you as that because God does hear everything and um, you know knows everything that's going on, knows all the drama that's taking place anyway. So being able to identify God in that way, perhaps it's an easier way to have love for God instead of just a, uh, um, Sort of the, the idea is the nameless, formless. It gives a it gives a provides a way to uh, to have a deeper connection. Right, yeah, which will eventually lead you to that, you know, emptiness or formlessness, the surrender that Sai yes. talked about. But but you you got the personal connection initially, yeah. And and uh, you know, some people say, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, all these images. You got one that looks like a a monkey. You got another one that looks like an elephant, mm -hmm. etc. This is uh, superstitious nonsense. And, you know, you, you could look at it like that. Um, there's times when I've been in ceremonies and they've been pouring various substances on, on the murti, on the, uh, on the image. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? But then when you realize <laughs> we're pouring the highest and best onto the divine that we perceive, then it, it tra totally transforms itself into a most beautiful act, you know. So it depends how you approach these things, I think. It, I like to see the murti as a, as a portal to the divine rather than a thing in and of itself. It has no power in and of itself. And we watched um, a video recently of um, the dedication of a particular statue, uh, Datatreya, which, which sort of is a combination of the main three gods of, um, of, of the Hindi pantheon, the, the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer, coming together as one. And uh, they were pouring various things on it, sanctifying it and putting various powders and, and et cetera. And at the end of it, I felt very peaceful. I felt like they had really honored that statue and then empowered it as a portal to the divine so that whenever it was used in the future, you know, there, it was a focal point for, for all our yearnings, for all our desires. And, um, and so it was nothing in the statue itself that was powerful. It was what we gave it, you know, our consciousness imbued it with, with the energy and power. Uh, so that so that God could meet us there in in at that middle point, if you like, on on that um, on that altar, on that Im in that image. And I would add to that too, from the um, I, I would say that the Murti itself, from the from my Hindu learning, does actually have power. Um, either because of what you're talking about, because you've done a ceremony and you have imbued it with the strength, but at some point, it there is a shift that happens. Um, that even being in the presence, whether you believe or whether you don't believe, has some power. So let's say you go to the temple, but you don't believe. You All you see is a statue. 
I believe that you would still receive a blessing just by being in the presence of this Morti that's either been prayed over by other people and has been imbued and then has power. But you don't even have to be a believer right. to receive the goodness that is available there, which I think is kind of a comforting thought. So that even if your thoughts or, or, or is, is not in the uh, the best moment, so let's say we're grieving the the deaths of people that have died from coronavirus and feel sort of locked down and closed, just being in the presence of of spirit could revive us whether we believe or not right yeah um i think a lot of people believe that about the silent unity you know prayer vigil chapel because um Mm. it's it's the people have been in there for for a hundred you know so years now praying constantly 24 7 365 days of the year and uh, so it has an energy in and of itself and and now by the way folks you know if we you know if you know this but you can go on an app and enter that chapel Anytime you'd like to pray, you just go to uh, unityprayervigil.org and you, you can open the doors and go in and, and pray. And there's always somebody in there praying with you, um, so you're never alone. And many other people do this and, and join together. So there's usually people from all over the world praying at the same time. Um, and this is part of holding the light, um, creating that consciousness. Wonderful. So yeah, it's, it's a lovely thing. Yeah. What you're referring to also is is something in Hinduism is called Darshan, which is the sight of of the divine. It's a two-way street. Uh, Meister Eckhart said, the great Catholic mystic, he said, the eyes by which we see God is the same eye by which God sees us. And and I love that idea. It's a reciprocal arrangement. So the Darshan is a two-way mm-hmm. thing. When we look at the statue. We're beholding the divine, but then the divine is also beholding us because it's reaching down towards us. And uh, in the the show on um, Islam we had last week, uh, there's a quote from the Quran. It says, if we take one step towards God, God takes a hundred steps towards us. So it's the same idea Mm. that, you know, the divine is all around us. When when we are in that presence, when we're even got an inkling of openness to that, you know, we're willing to, to be seen and to see. To, get, to receive darshan, then you know something miraculous can happen. And of course, um, you know modern-day gurus, uh, you know, have darshan where you go and, and visit them. They, not, they don't need to say anything; they just walk around and look at you, and you could receive that the energy that I think you're talking about, Miriam. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. And so I think, um, yeah, I was just going to add one one thing, and, and yeah, that please. is in the the, the Vedas, the ancient texts, um, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, words have been written about God to describe God and show God and answer some of these, um, you know, timeless questions. So I think that's sort of an interesting, um, they've been able to, to, to know some more about the form of what God looks like, um, and some of the attributes that God holds. Um, so for those that are curious, you know, you can, there, there are, you know, these descriptions of what God looks like, um, and sort of the qualities that God has right? Yeah, and through, these very... ancient, through these ancient texts, which I think makes it kind of interesting. So both to know a personal God um, within and sort of to learn what, what the God, what this absolute God, which is so hard to, to understand. There are extensive writings that you can, that, you know, that the Hindu texts that can um, kind of help elucidate that for, for people. 
Right, yeah, and the the Vedas are the most ancient, and then of course we're familiar, I think, many of us with the Bhagavad Gita, which is part of the Mahabharata epic of India, um, and that's a very beautiful text too. And then other writings throughout the ages, so a huge amount of writing, and then the, a lot of gurus and teachers have written their own um, insights. So yeah, there's 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 many resources in in Hinduism. Another thing about the images too is that each symbol, each gesture, you know, sometimes they have numerous arms representing their abilities, right? So it's not like, well, this is weird. They got eight arms. Well, no, it means these are all the various abilities that we have because we are of that image too. Um, and you can look at the uh, texts and find out exactly what that each each arm or hand represents, you know, in terms of um, uh, of its, its effectiveness for us. If you look at most Hindu statues, and this is true in Buddhism as well, you'll see the uh, the gesture of the hand, uh, the palm facing directly to you in a blessing mode, and and that is the symbol for for fear not so all statues have that and i love that the idea that you you don't have to fear in this place this is a place of unconditional love and acceptance and uh, the, this this god or goddess is is here for you right to help to help lift you lift you up so um mm -hmm. yeah and the, so the nature of god similar to unities i think isn't it in the sense that there is one god has many forms or attributes um you don't have to worship an image if you don't want to. It's not it's not necessary, um, but it can be helpful, right? It can be a, a, a portal, a focal point for for our devotion. Definitely it helps you uh, connect again on a more personal level um, to to really help us uh, kind of move past the suffering that that's here during during life. Kind of help us through this this continual cycle of um, birth and death and kind of be able to, to sort of, you know, get on top of the suffering to not let it overwhelm us. It's right. a tool basically to feel some type of peace in the midst right. of chaos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or seeming I, chaos. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, there's this, uh, I'm just talking to somebody on Facebook recently about suffering, the nature of suffering. He's been struggling with how could God create suffering, you know? And uh, it's an interesting question, and, and many books have been written about it. You know, why why do bad things happen? And uh, the only answer that I can come up with for myself that makes sense is that God has gifted us with free will, and if we have free will, then we can make choices, and uh, that makes us authentically alive. Otherwise, we'd be automatons. But with choice comes, you know, suffering, and that, that's part of the gift that God has given us. So. Um, and I think Hinduism understands that, you know, the image of Kali as the destroyer, you know, the transformer is powerful because we look around us and we see death and we see even in Mother Nature, we see storms that are very violent. It, it's Kali, uh, you know, the wrathful deity at work, isn't it? And um, and, and so it's all part and parcel of uh, looking authentically. I don't. One thing I love about Hinduism, it doesn't... Um, shunt off the bad stuff to somebody else you know in christianity um often the bad stuff is demonized as the devil and and that means that 50 percent of what's going on within you is is labeled bad you know whereas in in hinduism 100 percent of everything that's going on is acceptable right it's all part of the mix that makes us fully fully alive and that, that's kind of refreshing you know don't there's no devil in hinduism 
No, there's definitely no separate. There's no entity that's greater than God. It's kind of all the drama. Um, uh, you, you said the drama from our free will. Um, and I'd say probably there's more of a thought that, or you might phrase it in Hinduism, I would think more that the drama that mother creates or the drama that God creates. Um, and then we see it maybe as suffering or not. But ultimately, if we could have clear vision, we would see that it was all for our, our better learning. Or like, for instance, that my mother um, passed from breast cancer. So sad and um, overwhelming. But through that, I was able to become a nurse and care for other people and deepen my spiritual practice and uh, become closer with you. Um, so I'm able to, to see the suffering with more open eyes instead of a burden for the rest of my life. Not that I deny it and say that it's not sad and that I would have preferred to, for her to be living, but, um, seeing it as a tool for my, seeing it as a tool for my learning. Yes. Right. So it's all part, um, because all we don't part always have control. Yeah. It's all part of the mix. We don't always have control over every choice, you know? Um, that, that comes to us. You mentioned that. I remember talking about the uh, the third principle, the law of mind action. We don't always have control over the things that that happen per se in the outward, but we have the control how we re- react to it. And I just wanted to add that in about Hinduism. A fundamental piece is the belief in reincarnation. But, but as far as I know, for most every Hindu that I've talked to, including myself, I believe in it. That it's not just um, you know, the karma that we've accumulated from this lifetime, but from previous lifetimes. Um, So some of the drama that we face in our life is not just uh, um, caused by things that have gone on in the here and now. It's from previous energies, previous lifetimes that we're working on, working out. Right, yeah. And of course, the goal of Hinduism is moksha, right? It's liberation, freedom from from all that and and yet the veil of maya or, or some of them they call it leelas the play the play of god the drama of god um you know is is the way we learn so you know it's it could be helpful but eventually you know the, we can relinquish as sai baba said our, our um, identification with our personal ego you know and abandon that so we can be all that we truly are and that that is ultimate freedom or sometimes called samadhi that moment of absorption into the one and uh, it's it's very beautiful because uh, you know we've we've swapped a very small little thing for for the universe right and uh, once you understand that you don't really don't want to cling to the small because you realize my goodness i i'm i'm not living up to my full glorious potential here but of course many of us uh, are fearful because we think well what would what would i be if i got rid of my own personality you know maybe there'd be nothing nothing left so i think we we are um we're shy of doing that and that keeps keeps us stuck in in the Maya, in the uh, in, in the illusion, if you like. So, yeah, Definitely, fascinating, yeah. fascinating subjects, aren't they? Um, we're almost at the break, or we are at the break. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll we'll look more about this fascinating religion called Hinduism. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The Voice of an Awakening World.
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show on World Spirituality. I'm with my daughter, Miriam Sharma, and we're discussing unity and Hinduism. And we covered a lot of ground already on this fascinating subject. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, though, is that just as there are a million different images of God, one that might be right for you, uh, different aspects of the divine, so there are many approaches to the divine, depending on our uh, predilection and, and personality. Uh, some of us are open more to the devotional and want to devote ourselves to the divine. So there's the, the path of, of the bhakti yoga, yogi. Uh, some are more intellectual than the yana yoga. The yoga of wisdom appeals to them or study. Um, some just want to work it, you know, put it into action in their lives. So there's karma yoga. And others want to make a systematic study and, and use meditation and other techniques. Um, and so there's the, the path of Raja Yoga. And those are just the bare minimum. There's, there's other paths too. For, for people who are into more the esoteric, there's uh, Tantric Yoga. Um, and at one extreme, I don't think any of us want to go there, but uh, there's something called the Nagababas who uh, do the total opposite of what is considered to be normal in, in the Hindu tradition. And, and so they, they eat um, feces and they, they, they live in the graveyard and, and um, they constantly smoke in hashish and, and they, they do terrible things, you know. I mean, I'm not saying they hurt anybody, yet, but they, um, they would be seen as out, outcasts. And yet their form of spirituality is to show that, you know, everything's possible. You don't, you don't have to follow a, a distinct path. Uh, all roads lead to God, even the most extreme ones. So something for, for everybody. But Miriam, um, in, in unity, we talk about the Christ within, right? And, and I think there's a similar idea in Hinduism, isn't there? The, the, you know, the idea of the, the soul, the true nature of the, the spirit within it would be the Atma. Um, which, which is very similar to what we might call the Christ. Definitely, and, and would say that the, the body may perish, but the soul spirit lives forever. I've been telling that to my children, my, my daughter, who's now six. She's really started picking up on it, and she'll say to me, if we find a little uh, creature outside, a little bug or something that's died, she'll say, well, mommy, does this, even though it's died, even though it's dead, does this, uh, this creature, this spirit, the spirit still lives, right? Right? And I'll affirm, yes, yes, it does. So some of those, starting to, to, to think about those ideas, um, and so that seeing it from the child child's eyes, uh, uh, very interesting. But it's amazing. She can grasp it, that the body could perish, the body of the bug, the body of the, the human might perish and go away, but that the spirit within the breath is continual. So, yes, that is definitely um, a very important aspect, concept. And sin really doesn't measure in up much in in Hinduism, right? That that idea that we're miserable sinners um, is not really a Hindu concept. You know, we may have fallen short or be enmeshed in Maya, but but it's not really that we're we're bad people. Um, though you know, we want to live to high ethical standards, and there are high ethical standards in Hinduism, but there's not that sense of judgment, right? Um, everybody's on their path to salvation, to, to moksha, to freedom, if you like. Yeah, I think there's um, definitely a, a look at how, how you live your life and how you act um, with other people is more telling of what your 
of how you're doing in your life than what necessarily you hold as your belief. So the fruits are more important than whether you believe a certain way. So I think, yeah, even if you um, weren't, weren't Hindu, but you were a good kind person and you, you know, helped the needy and did other good acts, I think that's equally as important. Um, many paths, but yes, they ultimately are, are looking to reach salvation and um, that kind of attainment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's let's talk about. Uh, I think we're in agreement that the law of mind action um, is very much you know a Hindu concept because as we just talked about you know karma, uh, the unfoldment through that, the the thoughts that you hold in your mind, the the attunement attunement you have to God um, through worship, you know, is putting your consciousness in a place that is you know expansive, right? So so very much. Um, thoughts held in mind produced after their kind and not just thoughts but feelings devotion you know where your attention goes i would say is very very important uh, to the hindu uh, consciousness absolutely and i think that would um you know whatever your whatever your 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 duty is this lifetime your dharma um you know it's important to it's important to follow and do that so whatever you um whatever you can do uh, to help keep you on track with that focus, um, whether that means that you, you know, fast during on the on the days that you're supposed to fast or or perform the rituals, these the first haircut, the first uh, intake of food, um, whatever it might be, all those things kind of keep you uh, keep you focused and yeah, keep your head in the right track, kind of hold back the monkey mind, chanting some of the mantras, especially for me. Um, we listened this morning. Uh, to, to some chanting at Skandavale, and it certainly, um, the monks will even say, go on a little holiday for about 45 minutes. And, you know, just listening to the sounds, um, they're, they're chanting the names of God, but you can just sort of let it absorb over you. And it sort of stops the monkey mind from worrying about whatever it is that you have going on. And uh, brings you back to a sort of peaceful place because m- music has that sound of love, uh, it can take you to sort of another world. Right. And, and music, so definitely. And, yeah. Music and bhajans, wherever you are, and, it helps you. Yeah, I was going to say music and bargains and, and uh, songs uh, often, you know, recite, uh, what's the word? Um, call and response, uh, you know, are common, right. In, in, uh, in Hinduism, especially modern Hinduism, the bhajan has become ubiquitous, I think. And we're familiar with it now because we have, you know, yoga groups and, and Kirtan groups and, and, and people who are, you know, quite well known in the West for singing these, these chants as well. Um, so, you know, thinking about Krishna Das is a good example of that. Um, and they can, they can be very beautiful, right? And I, I know they're, they're quite, um, you know, the, the people, people love them. And, and we've done them at Unity Churches and usually there's a packed house when, when the kirtan takes place. So it's, it's quite popular. Definitely. Well, I remember as a little girl, when mommy and you and me, we would get into an argument, mommy would have us gather in the kitchen. Do you remember this? And she'd have us om, O-M, <laughs> om, that's, three that's times right. together. And we put our heads together. That's and we'd right. say, om, om, om. And so we all felt a little bit calmer. 
And of course, as a child, I didn't know the meaning that ohm is the primordial sound, you know, uh, that, that has the, the basically the name of God um, in it without knowing it. I just felt the calm energy. So I associated that with the peacefulness and connectedness and love. But what she was really doing is she was helping us to recite um, the simplest, the simplest form, the simplest name for God, that Om that all sounds come from. And then what in I'm, that, we, we sort of fell into that peacefulness. Well, and, and it's true, you know, we might have resisted doing it initially, but by the end of the, <laughs> the third one, you felt, you did definitely feel a little calmer, you know, and I don't think it ever failed because yeah. it, it's, uh, they say, hold your breath or count to 10 or whatever, but that rarely works. But uh, chanting on like that, it seemed to, to work, especially feeling it, it, the vibration physically, you know, by coming together close to each other by, with the forehead, that was that, I think that was part of the power because you could feel it by vibrating in, in your cranium, you know, and the side everybody else's cranium. So, by the way, yeah, as a side, yeah, as a, gathering together, gathering together, um, as a side note, um, my daughter was christened in a, in a Methodist church when she was a baby, but she was also blessed in, in the, uh, in the Hindu tradition and actually had Om as a symbol, uh, put on her tongue with, with a little, um, what was it? A, a little metal thing uh, uh, dipped in in the nectar or ambrosia and by Guruji, right? By, by Guruji, right? At the, the Skandavale ashram we've just been re- talking about. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? So you already had the arm in, on you <laughs> in some way, right? <laughs> and, uh, I remember Guruji said, "Oh, she likes it. Uh, he's going to be a very spiritual person. I can tell." Aww. And uh, Aww. there we go. So let's let's uh, we sort of started talking a little bit then, and, and you know around um, ways of praising God, you know, and prayer, uh, mantra, japa, japa mala, the rest, recitation of a certain chant um, phrase using um, prayer beads. Uh, there's many systems, aren't there, of, of prayer in in Hinduism, just like everything else. If you know whatever you need. It's there for you, right? There's um, there's various different practices. Uh, what which one do you find most effective for you? Hmm. Well, I I would definitely say probably the song, the uh, prayer prayer via song. Uh, right. That speaks to me a, a way of feeling a way to to love God um, and to feel gratefulness. That kind of it'll swell over you um, if you feel that. But I. Uh, uh, I think prayer leads directly in from from the the really the third principle that whole wherever your wherever your mind is if you're in a in a peaceful space and taking deep breaths and looking around and seeing all the the beautiful people in your family and you know stopping to smell the roses or hear a bird song your breath is gonna breaths are gonna slow down your heart rate's gonna slow down you're going to feel more at peace so i think that in of itself um that in of itself is is a place of prayer um i don't think it necessarily has to be a a, a dear god although i do that sometimes too i i uh i i do ask god for certain things or to protect my children um i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i certainly believe um you know the hindu tradition it's perfectly fine to 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 ask for things um, in that sense, from God, I, 
I was thinking about this show. And so it reminded me of when we went to India with my in-laws, when my daughter was um, 19, 20 months old. And we visited uh, the town where my in-laws are from. And we kind of explored that northern India area. And we went to Foda Persikri, which I know you've been to as well, Daddy, right? Yes. Um, just west of Agra. Um, and it was created by Akbar the Great, the third emperor, Mughal emperor. And in 1569, he was without an heir. And so he went to um, a Shishti saint, a Sufi saint, and he, the, the Sufi saint predicted that he would have a son, that Akbar the Great would have a son. And that very year, or close to, um, he did have a son, Jahangir, who took over, or Jahangir, I think is a better pronunciation. And so he built, Akbar the Great built this marble um, mausoleum, originally built as red sandstone, but in honor of this saint. And so when we went to India, we visited this uh, this mausoleum, this mother, and the the sort of old wives' tale is that if you go to this tomb and offer prayers, any wish that you that you wish will be fulfilled. And so we went there, and um, each person made their made their prayer, and I prayed for a son. My husband prayed for another healthy child, and I, my in-laws prayed that we would have a son. But we all didn't tell each other. And nine months later, I gave birth <laughs> to a, a healthy baby boy. There we so, go. <laughs> um, so, you know, you could take it multiple ways. Of course, we all know how, how babies are made and that, you know, might have happened anyway. But just fascinating that um, that these there's room for this sort of mystical um mystical aspect of God, mystical ability of God to, uh, uh, to work miracles. And there's places that you can go that contain this, this power. And, um, I just found it absolutely fascinating and I still, I still enjoy thinking about it. (laughs) That's a cool story. And, you know, it was a, it's a very powerful room there. I remember going to that shrine and, and you're encouraged to buy a silk covering and put it on the bed, uh, uh, the ritual bed there, and and, and uh, the, yes. the priest or whatever will say a um, a prayer over you. And of course, the interesting thing about India is, you know, that's that's a Sufi shrine, which is part of uh, the Islamic tradition. And there's many Muslims in in in, um, in India, as well as as we mentioned earlier, Jains, Buddhists, Sikhs, etc. So, and Christians. So you know, it's a multi multi uh, diverse culture. And, and there are often, um, you know, overlays, right, overlaps between the, the between those traditions. And Hindus will go to a, a shrine like that, and and so on. So, um, the, the you know, it speaks to the um, the fact that all religions ultimately are one. And, and Akbar the Great actually was trying to come up with a religion that combined all other religions. That was his goal because he he felt that uh, you know all paths led to the same goal. Um, never quite got there, but uh, but that's probably why there's a Sufi shrine, you know, uh, in, in that Hindu um, Hindu place there. So that, yeah, that's very interesting. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about um, uh, for me, you know, mantra. The use of a, a short phrase is very powerful, and I, I've been using the same 
basic mantra since since uh, I don't know maybe 30 or so years ago, and it's an interesting thing for me because it's a combination of um, of of a Christian uh, mantra or uh, a short saying and and a Hindu one. So for me, you know, that ties the two together, and I feel very comfortable with it. I, I really love. Um, trinities because i think the universe unfolds in triangles it's it's a sort of a a symbol of creation and we have the trinity of course with the, the creator preserver and destroyer of you know the uh, we've got brahma vishnu and and um and shiva and then then their female counterparts um saraswati lakshmi and and uh parvati or or durga or kali in the in the more wrathful aspect of that um so you know it, it, it there's something beautiful about trinities and there's a beautiful trinity in in the in hindu tradition called satchitananda um existence consciousness bliss and for me this is the father the son and the holy spirit because you know existence mm -hmm. is the 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 ultimate, uh, the, the sometimes translated as being, the the, the beingness of God, um, and the consciousness of that is love, which is the the Jesus aspect, the Christ aspect, and and then you've got the the pushing out into activity of that into Ananda, into into joy, into bliss, which is the Holy Spirit in action. So you know, for me, contemplating that, I get really excited because I see that flow. Uh, in the universe, but also, you know, within my own being as well, that uh, that that's what I'm meant to be. I'm meant to put, embody those qualities of um, the, the the of consciousness and and the underpinnings of consciousness, the the the, the truth, the the sat, chitananda, the truth, consciousness, and bliss. Other people may say, well, that's too heady for me. Um, but you know, I think I'm I'm a Jnana yogi. Um, in fact, when I retired, one of the gifts that the church gave me was a pocket pocket knife, and on the because I like little pocket knives, and on that pocket knife was inscribed the word Jnana, uh, which means wisdom in in Hinduism. And uh, so that's 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 what the, I guess many in the church thought of me. So that, that's okay. Yeah, no, that's right. wonderful. And going back to that Trinity, okay, so yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I please. like your idea of the Trinity. That's great. Um, no, just uh, going to say, and even sometimes the gods, the same God will be depicted in three different ways. So Vishnu can be depicted as, um, in his form of Krishna, as Laddu Gopal, a little baby, um, a little baby Krishna that you can bathe in your own home altar and change his clothes. And then there's the great Vishnu, you know, Sri Ranganath, in that sense, lying on lying on the serpent, sitting on a lake. And then, you know, Krishna, who who was alive and was dancing around and walking. So as a young a young man, each one sort of approachable in their own way, depending on how wherever your consciousness is. Um, God God can have each layer for you wherever you, whichever one is easier for you to understand at any yes. given time. Sometimes you need that little baby image of God to love on because that's sort of an easy thing. We all can love a baby. So that little Ludu Gopal can sometimes be a nice a nice way. Or like baby Jesus. People can connect with the baby Jesus. That's a, a way to, to feel love rise up naturally within you and then you put it onto God and it, it develops that connection. So I like I like that Trinity as well. Yeah, very good. And and I love that idea that, you know, 
we even in Christianity we do have that image, don't we? And do have the Divine Mother too, in the form of um, you know of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and it may be hidden slightly, but it's it's there, right? Though that that those images are, are there. And then you get the teaching Jesus, you know, the the, the, the parable of teaching the teacher of the parables who's kind of like the intellectual wisdom guru but then you have the loving jesus too does the the healings and the mm-hmm. and cares for people so you know you, you have a in jesus you see the various aspects as well that's one thing i wanted to mention too in in hinduism um there's generally 108 names for uh, God. Uh, so each individual deity uh, gets chanted uh, the 108 names, at least sometime during a, a puja. And uh, the, the names are just various aspects of that, that particular deity. And, and one time I, I did 108 names for Jesus. And uh, it was lovely because you could talk about all the various aspects of of Jesus's life in the 108 names and it, it deepened your understanding of who Jesus was because then of course the 108 names represent uh, infinity in the in the um, Hindu tradition you know, there's 108 uh, beads on, on a mala and so it's that that number which represents completion and uh, it's lovely to chant those 108 names I think because you, you you know you're honoring different aspects of of that particular teacher or deity right yeah definitely i like that i think my my father-in-law when i when i mentioned the 108 names that they would chant you know at the ashram and he would say to me oh remember there's a thousand and eight there's yeah. even more than 108 you know god well, is yeah, so of course. vast and big that if you we could learn it all really you know probably even more than that that uh which is very freeing in some ways because i think um our head sort of traps the image of God sometimes and we have a concept about God I think this happens on the spiritual path for all of us you kind of get in sort of a rut where thinking thinking things one way and as soon as you open your head to see it from a different perspective one little change of phrase can sort of pop open your head like when the uh, one of the monks at the temple the other day said be where you are and I've been really vibing on that recently to just be present and everybody we all know that be present be here to you know feel your breath we say it you have that lovely be present to what is but when he said it be where you are it spoke to me right so it's yeah, lovely absolutely. like if we need a ref- we need a refreshing of the mind to keep the to keep the mind you know both engaged but also sort of uh <laughs> renewed so that we can we can find the beauty in life and it doesn't become just sort of humdrum and you know the same stuff over and over it kind of yeah refreshes you what when you mentioned 108 or a thousand it reminded me of what jesus said to you know peter so how many times do we need to forgive someone and uh, was it peter or one of the disciples and he said uh, seven times lord and uh, jesus said no 70 times seven and what he was saying mm-hmm. there was not literally 70 times seven but forever, right? It's, it's a symbol, forever, seven being yeah. the symbol of, uh, again, another symbol of completion, uh, as, as, you know, as many times as you can do it, because there's, um, there's an infinity of possibilities. And it's the same with the names of God. There's an infinity of names or qualities of God, but we enshrine them in the 108 names as, a, as an honoring, as a symbolic honoring of those, those qualities. And in the same way, I think the, the you know Muslims have 99 names for God, and and uh, yeah, there's more, but those are the 
the sort of the essential ones. And if we could get grasp all that, you know, if we could really embody those, we'd be we'd be doing pretty good. We're almost at the end of the show. I can't believe it's already uh, almost over here. Um, it's important to to you mentioned this earlier, you know, to serve, right? And and I think there's a Hindu term called seva, which means service. Um, it's not good enough just to you know be praying or, or worshiping God. We have to put uh, it into action in our lives and help others, right? That's a huge part of the Hindu tradition. Absolutely. Um, I remember when my my husband met my grandmother on on mummy's side, and she my grandmother was a Methodist, and in her church, food charity was very very important. And when she met Kapil, my husband, she was very excited to learn that his, um, the Hinduism, where, the temple where he had grown up going, the Hare Krishna Iskon temple, was also very interested in, in food charity. So she got excited that, that that service translated in both religions. So yes, I think um, uh, in Hinduism, it is very important to put, you know, put feet to your put feet to your prayers, as they say, and go out and, and, and do um, do what you can, and even the simplest form to be kind to people, to show a smile, to um, you know, to, to help someone, to feed someone if you can on the street one day. You know, I think we often think it has to be these big, in big terms, but um, a small amount of kindness goes a long way. Right. Yeah. Very good. Well, I think you can see, folks, that this is a, a big subject. Um, we tried to present some of the uh, the essentials of Hinduism. We've only scratched the surface, but I, th I think you can see there's many commonalities between uh, unity and Hinduism. And I think that's what draw, drew it, me to both of those traditions, because I, I find they resonate also with what makes sense in my own in my own heart. I know that's true for Miriam. Let me tell you about next week, and then we'll say goodbye to Miriam. Next week, professors Mark Dennis and Andy Fort join me, and we're going to discuss uh, the equally varied religion, Buddhism. So join us then for that. But right now, thank you, as always, Miriam, for a wonderful uh, show. You're, you always bring such wisdom and, and uh, a, a calm presence. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you asking me. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank All you. right, and thanks. thanks for listening, folks. Have a good week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 